Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Gracious Lord our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and we thank you for revealing yourself to us in Scripture. So Holy Spirit, help us to silence our distractions and quiet our hearts to listen for your unique message for each of us in this psalm. May we be open to receive and share your love, truth, and grace because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. All right, so Psalm 84, I'll lead, and the congregation, please join me as we go through this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As you go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, again, my brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. We have uh, two more Sundays, two more Sundays to go in our summer teaching series, Summer in the Psalms. And as I set my goals from the beginning, it's really to stir up within all of us this knowledge that we are completely loved, that we're completely known, that we are blessed and we are secure in Almighty God. You don't need to prove yourself anymore. You're fully loved and known and accepted by God. And I want us also to taste and see that God is good. That's one of my goals. I want us to rediscover the all-sufficiency of God. Doesn't matter what's happening in your life, God is all sufficient. And that's why I've been encouraging us to read the Psalms. 
Recently, I had the opportunity to watch one of Pixar's brilliant movies. This one was called Soul. And I keep thinking, no, that's the best one. And no, that's the best one. Well, right now I'm saying this is their best work. And if you've seen the movie, you'll be able to sort of figure out where I'm going with this. If you haven't seen it, I want to encourage you to see it. It asks some very profound metaphysical questions about life and purpose and meaning. The movie centers around a, a middle school teacher by the name of Joe Gardner, played by Jamie Foxx. And in the course of the movie, it becomes very, very clear that Joe Gardner is restless. Teaching middle school band is just not cutting it for him. It's not filling him up. And we all know what that feels like, don't we, when we are involved in some job or some endeavor that just isn't doing it for us. Joe, you see, is a magnificent piano player who believes that his true passion and joy in life is to play jazz professionally. And without giving away the punchline for the movie, he gets this big break to play at this popular jazz club in New York City with the Dorothea Wilson Jazz Quartet, I think is what they're called, jo Dorothea Williams Jazz Quartet. But not only that, he is hoping that by having this big break, he'll be able then to launch himself into a life of, as a professional jazz player. Well, it so happens that he's on his way to the rehearsal site. And as he's walking along, Joe falls into one of those open manholes in lower Manhattan. And he sort of leaves this world and he enters the fantastical realm called the world or the great before is what it's called. And I think as I watch the movie that the great before is Hollywood's way of sort of depicting what life, maybe after death or the eternal life might be about. But there is a very compelling scene toward the end of the movie where Joe is able to return from the great before. He's back on earth. He's back in New York City. He's at the club. He's realizing his dream of playing with this Dorothea Williams quartet. And on that big night, I mean, Joe crushes it. He plays the piano beyond anything else in this world. But surprisingly, when the gig ends and it's all over and the lights are out and they walk out of the club, Joe is a little beside himself because he realizes, I still feel empty. I still feel unfulfilled. And, you know, when you watch the movie, you have to ask yourself why. And the answer isn't really given. But maybe it's because he's learned that success is not the end-all and the be-all to human existence. Maybe he learned that he needed to fill his life with more than jazz, more than his passion. And so, surprisingly, the movie ends and he's back in the classroom teaching middle school kids how to play the various instruments and make music together. But he's doing it with a newfound purpose and joy. And that is now, I want to serve children. It's a fascinating movie, and it'll leave you for days thinking about the deep questions raised in this movie. I don't know why they call it a children's movie, because, boy, I was drawn in. There's a restlessness in all of us, in every soul. And you say, well, why are we restless? Why is, this, why is there longing within all of us? I think it's because we are a needy people. We need 
purpose in living. That longing manifests itself in so many ways. And for some of us, it is homesickness. Some of us are longing for home, whatever home represents for us, as we heard Hannah teasing out with the children. For some of us, it's this insatiable quest for success. For some of us, we're yearning for a second chance. You've made some big blunders in your life, and you're wishing that there was this opportunity for you to sort of turn the clock back and get a do-over. For some of us, we're longing for a season where we can just have stable health. For some of us, it's an end to crushing debt. We're longing for that day when our credit score can just come out of this deep cavern and see the light of sun, see the sunshine again. For some of us, it's this longing to be married, or it could be this longing to end an abusive relationship, a longing to be loved, an end to boredom, a longing to be free, to get unstuck from some kind of an attachment or an addiction. It could be a longing for safety, whatever safety means for you. But the question is this, will the things that you and I long for, will they be sufficient? I mean, that's the point of the movie. Will it be sufficient? Will life be complete? Will we feel filled up? Will we feel satisfied? Will the restlessness end when we get that thing or that person? And often, if we're really honest with ourselves, the answer is no, that many of the things we long for, they're good things, but they're not the best things, and they cannot Fill us up. And so Psalm 84, as you heard it being read and as we read it together, it has longing written all over it. But what kind of longing? And there's that quote you see on the screen from St. Augustine of Hippo. He wrote his confessions. And in those confessions, he said these words. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. So the question again is when you get that thing, when you achieve and you resolve whatever that longing is, will it be enough? And the answer often is no. Because the real longing that you and I have is a longing to be with God. And so if you are here this morning and you are dealing with some kind of unfulfilled thing, you're feeling insecure, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling worried, you're feeling fearful. I want you to join me then in owning these three blessings that we find in the psalm. They're waiting for us. It's ours for the taking. Three blessings. And if you look at verses 4, 5, and 12, you will see them. The first blessing is the blessing of home. And in verse 3, the psalmist sees the birds. And you can just picture this majestic temple with all of its caverns and its, its, its um, corners and the places where birds can go and nest and find a home. And the psalmist says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself when she may lay, where she may lay her young. And just as the birds make their home, home at the temple and are secure. They have no fear of enemies. In the same way, I think the psalmist is saying that as God's people, we can make our home in God and find our security in God. And that's what he says in verse 4. If you look at verse 4, it says, happy or blessed are those who live in your house. They're ever singing your 
praise. You see that Hebrew word selah or selah? You notice that word? I want you to notice it because when you read the Psalms, it's all over. That word is that, that Hebrew word is mentioned twice in, in Psalm 84. It's found at the end of many of the verses in the Psalms. And many people believe that that word is an opportunity for the singer or the reader to just pause, take a breath, contemplate, think about what you just heard. And so I want you, as we go through this psalm together, just to pause and think about the blessing of living in God's house. Maybe this verse speaks literally, verse 4 to those who live and work in the temple, the priests and the Levites, as they would sing and help to lead worship and do all the work required to maintain the temple and to maintain the house of the Lord. Maybe that's what it means. But when I read that, it says, blessed are those who live in your house ever singing your praise. I couldn't help but think about Levi and his sons, Eli and his sons rather. First Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12 the writer of 1 Samuel says that Eli and his sons were scoundrels. They live in the temple, but they have no regard for God. And so it's possible to be in God's house. It's possible to traffic in religious things and yet be far from God and miss the way of God and miss the very life of God. Just ask Eli and they can tell you what that's about. You know, I remember many years ago when I was in seminary, I remember uh, Dean Campbell, Dennis Campbell, standing up in Duke Chapel and, and warning all these seminarians about the danger of merely being professional pastors, pastors who have no regard for God or with no real life-giving connection to God. Our main calling is to be with God. And so I think it's helpful then to see the possibilities of reading this text in both ways, that it may be written directly to those who live in the temple. And so we're not saying that having a sacred space is a useless thing. That's not what we're saying. But only insofar as that space evokes within us a longing to abide and to dwell and to rest in God. In other words... I would read verse 4 this way. Happy are those who make their home in God. They're ever singing God's praise. And if God is your habitation, you are blessed. You are blessed. And when we do that, here's what we do. We appropriately reduce the overemphasis on a building and its architecture and instead we magnify and focus on the presence of God among us. Blessed are those who center their lives on God. So here's what it looks like to abide in God. This is from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with what? Come on, first prayers. I want you to wake up. And I want you to join me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your? And with all your? And with all your? With all your might. And if you do that, my friends, you are at home with God. You're satisfied. 
But here's the second blessing I want to quickly share with you. It's in verses 5 through 7, the blessing of being on the journey. And often when I go on trips, you hear my little kids in the back saying, are we there yet? No. It's a journey. We don't love God by just dabbling in spiritual things, right? We don't love God by sitting in the driveway. It's a journey. It takes time. And you think of the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem and you hear these words being said over them, happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go, and I love this line in verse 7, they go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. Not everyone lived in Jerusalem, as you might imagine. So the majority of the people lived out in the far country. They lived in small villages. They worked small farms. And so the psalmist doesn't want to forget these people who have to travel miles upon miles over hill and valleys to get to Jerusalem to worship. And then he says this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. That's really what it means. They've set their hearts. Their hearts are the highways of God. In other words, all they're thinking about is, I, I, I can't wait to get there. I want to be with the Lord. They long to be near to God. And anyone who wants God, and, and when I look at this room, and all of you who are joining us online, online you are on, you're a pilgrim. You're on a journey with God. And I think this is a wonderful picture of the Christian life. Are we seeking an earthly temple the way those people sought to go to the earthly temple? No, we're seeking a heavenly temple and a city that has heavenly foundations, as it says in Hebrews 12, made by Almighty God. But as we press toward that goal, we're going to pass through the Baca Valley. And the Baca Valley is often referred to as a valley of weeping. It's a symbol of trouble. It's a symbol of difficulty and grief. When you think about Christians in Afghanistan, when you think about Christians in Palestine, when you think about Christians in the Congo and in other parts of the world, many of them are going through their Baca Valley right now. Verses 5 through 8 tell us what to expect as we walk through the valley of Baca. It's going to be dry. There will be no water. It's going to be hot. It's going to be difficult. But God wants us to see those times as times of progress. It's crucial if we're going to progress in our faith that we often find ourselves going through the valley. It's, it's in struggle that we grow. And I know this sounds so un-American. We, we, we don't even like to wait a minute at the stoplight, Right? So to talk about going through a valley where it's hard, and then for me to have the audacity to tell you that, that actually that struggle is actually good for us because that's how we grow, it sounds like blasphemy to many of you. But the thing is, that's where you find God. God helps you through your suffering. God bestows strength upon strength to those of us who are on the journey with God. So my brothers and sisters, do not be disheartened this morning. I don't know what season you're in right now in your life. I don't know where you are on the journey, 
but be, 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 don't be disheartened. God never promised that it would be easy. But what God promises is that I will be with you. I'm going to help you. You're going to rise above your difficulties because you're going from strength to strength in the Lord. But there's a third blessing I want you to hold on to. The blessing of finding home with God. The blessing of being on the journey with God. But here is maybe the crowning blessing in the psalm, the blessing of trusting in the Lord. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in the Lord. Now, let me go back again and just remind you, friends, it would be a huge mistake to look at this psalm or any of the psalms like Psalm 42 or Psalm 27 or Psalm 43 and think that when the writers talk about the building, that that's what they're really talking about. It'd be a huge mistake. Now, they did place emphasis on the building like we do, but we like to tell people that our church, we like to tell people that our church was designed by this famous Chicago architect, Daniel Burnham. I mean, we take pride in that. We open up the doors of our church and allow people to come in during the, the architectural tour, and we proudly show them our stained glass windows and other things. But the thing I try to remind people is that this architect, Daniel Burnham, God rest his soul, he died back in 1912. We're not the God of the dead. We're not focusing on the dead. We're focusing, as the psalmist says, on the God of the living, the living God. We're yearning for the living God. And when we come into this space, we want people to encounter more than our history. We want people to encounter more than these beautiful stained glass windows around us. We want them to hear more than this majestic organ. We want them to encounter the living God so that they will turn from idols and put their trust in God. We're surrounded by idols, as you know. The idolatry of politics, the idolatry of religion, the idolatry of sex, the idolatry of money, the idolatry of the body. We're surrounded by idols, and what we want people to know is that those things will never fill them up. It is only when they encounter the living God and they put their trust in God. Can you say amen to that? And this is why, in spite of that wonderful opening line in verse 2 where the psalmist says, My soul longs. Indeed, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The psalm does end in a crescendo, inviting us to trust in the Lord. And even though the writer says it, I would rather be a doorkeeper in God's house than dwelling in the tents of the wicked, he's really talking about the goodness of God, the sweetness of God. Notice how he describes these attributes of God in verse 11. He says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor, no good thing. And I underline that line in my Bible. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is a sun and a shield shining over us, protecting us from our foes. And the Lord says, what, I, what is good for you, I will never withhold it. 
Never. It reminds me of Romans 8, 28, where the Lord says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. So friends, if you are fearful this morning, if you are anxious, if you're feeling burnt out, I'm telling you, God is inviting you into his home, into his heart, to come and rest. Maybe you're walking through a valley right now. You're tired, you're thirsty, you're worn out. God is saying to you, I'm with you in the valley. I'm going to strengthen you. I want you to put your trust in me, though. Stop trusting in yourself. Trust in my goodness. No good thing. And I have so many good things for you, God says, and I'm never going to withhold it from you. I want you to trust me. And I can testify this morning without any, any fear, without any doubt, that after years of walking with God, after years of rising and falling and rising and falling and going through my many Baca valleys, I can stand here and tell you with all of my scars that God is sufficient, that God has never failed me yet, God will never fail you, that God is the only one in whom the restless will find rest. And so let me end with this call to action, would you? Where Jesus says to us, come to me, this is a call now, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will do what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. So this is the message for restless Americans. This is the message for people who are, you're thinking you're going to find your dream in this world. God is speaking to you. And God wants you now to take my yoke and learn. You're not going to find it in circumstances. And I know some of us, we so long to get that thing, get that person, go on that adventure, and God says, yes, that's a good thing, but it's not the best thing. You will only find rest for your soul. You will only find deep security and satisfaction when, like those birds, you're nesting at God's altars. And you say, oh, Lord, you're my king. You're my God. And come what may, nothing is going to move me. Planted by rivers of water, we want to rest in God. And only then will we discover that God is all-sufficient. And then God is now at the center of our lives. Not a Sunday God anymore. Not a religious sort of dipping in the lake and coming back out. But we walk with him and we talk with him and he is the center of our lives. I just sense in my heart this morning that some of us here are walking with deep levels of unhappiness. And you're blaming other people. You're blaming the government. You're blaming your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your teacher, your boss. And we fail to realize that in this life, we're going to go through a valley. And the answer isn't in blaming other people. 
It's in coming to God and saying, Lord, I got to get rid of these idols. I've made marriage into an idol. I've made my children into an idol. I've made looks into an idol. I've made money into an idol. I've made so many things, things that I think will help me. And God, I want to I wanna get rid of these idols in my life. And I want you to be my God and my king. And until you do that, the struggle will go on. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pause again. Selah, let's pause and just pray. Let's pray. Lord God, you are speaking to us this morning. That fellowship with you, that that is the great pearl, the great price. That is the one treasure that makes everything else look like trinkets. Help us, Lord. Help us to see this, to see the idols of our own making. Help us to incline our heart to you and to desire you as we're on this pilgrimage with you. And we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's people say, Amen. Amen.